0: to episode 4 of the ArcEd podcast. I'm James Benedict Brown and this week I'm in Leicester. If there is one defining characteristic of architectural education in the UK, which alternates undergraduate and taught postgraduate university study with periods of supervised professional practice, it's that practitioners generally don't think that academics, myself included, are sufficiently educating graduates for practice. Likewise, There is a healthy contingent within academia, myself not included, who complain that architectural practitioners are not engaging sufficiently with their responsibility to provide comprehensive on-the-job training. Between these two polls, there appears to be very little constructive criticism. Earlier this month, RIBA appointments published the findings of the 2014 RIBA Skills Survey. This report, which analyses the survey responses of 149 employers and 580 students of architecture, explores the knowledge expectations of RIBA Part 1 and Part 2 graduates, both from the point of view of students and employers. Highlighted amongst these was the fact that both employers and students agree that the top five skills expected of a Part 1 graduate are an understanding of building regulations and standards, design and specification of buildings, the planning process, building information management and the RIBA plan of work. So to move the conversation on from the usual sniping between practice and academia, which the architectural press have been kind enough to publish in their comments and letters pages, this week the ArcEd podcast asks three practitioners and educators to reflect on whether higher education and workplace training are working together to prepare students for the realities of practice. Our guests this week are Emma Curtin, Anne Markey and Vinish Pommel. Emma Curtin is an architect and coordinator of the BA Architecture First Year at the University of Liverpool. She's also the chair of the Friends of London Road Fire Station in Manchester. Anne Markey is director of Cass Projects, the Live Projects Office at the Sir John Cass Faculty of Art, Architecture and Design at London Metropolitan University. She's also a director at Phelan Architects in London. Anne is joined for part of her interview by her cat Whiskey. Vinesh Pommel is an architect at Levitt-Bernstein in London and co-founder of the Architecture Students Network, which, incidentally, you'll be hearing more from in the coming weeks on the podcast. I wanted to begin by asking my guests about their own experiences of beginning architectural education. Here's Anne Markey.
1: Having not had the benefit of a sandwich experience, I would say that the sandwich experience can only be good because what it is doing is exposing the student to practice partway through their career so that they can start to make sense of of what they're learning before it's too late for want of a better word I mean the last thing you want to do is is throw a student out into practice without any exposure to it I mean it's it's kind of a bit late after if they then discover it's not for them and I think that's why in some ways it, it's it, it's good that the year I not only gives students the opportunity to learn about practice but also perhaps learn if, if that is what they really want to do with their lives. And I, I think one of the things I'm very conscious that we have to do for students, and I'm not, I mean, this is something society can only do collectively, is to start valuing the undergraduate qualification. Now, whether that remains as it currently is, or whether we do change to a new model, but if you do come out of university with a, an academic qualification in architecture, that it has a value... Um, and that you don't need to go to, all the way through to registration. Um, you don't want to have a label as a failed architect if you don't register.
0: Here's Emma Curtin.
2: One thing I can remember very clearly is that I didn't have any CAD skills and I just told them I would learn it in a week. <laughs> or I had very, very basic CAD skills and I just thought, uh, and they accepted that, and with support I did. I realised that my sphere of influence was very limited, where I think I'd had high aspirations of being able to change the world and realising that uh, I wasn't going to do that through laying out tiling patterns on a shopping centre. But I was aware of what I didn't know. Nobody expected me to know things. And I was really eager to learn. And I had people that were keen to help me understand the professional environment. And I think one thing that I did learn at university was that that was important. And I think I didn't I didn't need to know all the information, but I knew that to have ideas wasn't enough to be able to put them into practice i needed to know all this other stuff and that what's the point if you can't do that but i was able to pick that up in the office environment because i had supportive people around me and i was keen to learn and i understood the value of that learning process
0: here's finished pommel
3: one of the key things i've learned since qualifying as an architect is actually having a really good understanding of the profession in which you're working so for example procurement, who your competitors are. I mean, part three did help with this. If it wasn't for part three, I don't think I'll be in a good position to understand how the whole industry works. Architects don't work by themselves. We are are part of the construction industry. And knowing who you're working for as the client and who you're working with is so important. At the same time, teamwork. I mean, during your time at university, we always complain about working in groups. You know, I don't like working with that person or I don't like that person, But for me, that change from not necessarily liking working groups to actually working in a team, it's really, really important. And also being able to lead teams. You might be working for a large practice where there are different elements of of a project and you might be given the responsibility to lead a small part of the project as I'm having to do right now. So it's just being able to take those key skills
0: and apply it. The RIBA Skills Survey report concludes that its respondents believe that graduates do not develop a sufficient grasp of many of the more technical aspects of architecture during their formal education. Is that criticism justified? Here's Anne Markey again.
1: I think the criticism is a little unfair, to say the least. I think students are exposed to the so-called nuts and bolts of construction, and indeed the RIBA criteria require it. For example, in London Met, our students take a holistic view of their design projects through a module called integrated design audit at undergraduate level and integrated design studies at postgraduate level where not only are the students asked to look at the detailing of their major design project but also to look at the legislative and cultural issues around that design so i that's that's sort of half an answer because the other half you want an answer to is do I think that universities are where students should be taught detailing? I think yes, the answer to that has got to be yes, because after all architecture is a discipline that is as much about design as it is about many of the other facets that we all study. So to to study any design discipline without understanding the materiality of what it is you're designing and and how it fits together would just not make sense, I think. I did suffer in not having enough technical skills. So I
3: remember doing my part one five years ago now and being put straight into a project and drain wall thicknesses, floor floor build-ups, just knowing what the bare minimum needs to be in order to get it through to planning. Now, maybe there's a part in me that should actually be a bit more active and engaged with university and don't be of self-directed learning, But at the same time, you're becoming an architect. So you should have these basic skills. I'm not saying I didn't have those basic skills, but I definitely wasn't able to detail a building properly during my part one year out. At the same time, however, when students are on the year out, they are still learning. They're not expected actually to know everything inside that. Because at the end of the day, we are all still learning. And I think that. That's what's changed at the moment is practitioners are expecting students to have all these skills. Academics are saying, well, actually, practitioners need to teach these skills. There's a lot of toing and froing. Architecture is teamwork and we should be working together. So not producing unready students, but actually making sure that both are talking to each other or elements of each are talking to each other so that there is this dialogue between academia and practice.
2: Perhaps sometimes it's kind of technical and professional teaching in the universities isn't as good as it could be but I just think that the way that uh, well as you pointed out some of the questions seem to be leading questions the way the reporting has been framed it's not helping construct a useful dialogue about how we improve the situation. I mean I'm very keen on thinking about education in relation to architecture in a number of ways but one of them is how do we improve architecture and the relationship between the education and the good architecture? That whole dialogue around the survey didn't seem to particularly bring anything to that idea that education can support the improvement of architecture. Whilst I I could agree that we could do more to support a good technical education, it seemed very prescriptive and very students don't know enough about the planning process. Well. Is that really that important? I think it's important that they know why we have a planning process or what the planning process is for or that the planning process influences the architecture that is around us. But I don't think they need to know that an application takes eight weeks or 12 weeks or I don't think they need the specifics. That can be learned in the situation. And those things change as well. So we're teaching things that will be out of date whereas actually discussing the idea of a planning process and what it's for, whether that's the best way And understanding it, the implications of the system are much more important than the detail of how it works. Uh, And I think the same really applies to technical, kind of more obvious, uh, like detailed design things. It's important to have a good technical understanding of materials and how things go together and structure. But... You don't need to be able to write specifications. It's it would it, it's not. I mean, lots of architects don't even do that. That's the other thing. We're not training people for a specific role. we tra- you know, lots of students don't even go on to, to work in architecture. But those that do, some of them are are kind of really focused on design. Others become do take on a more technical role. There there are lots of different roles for people within. Uh, architectural practice. I'm much more keen on looking at the implications of these things for architecture and asking questions about them as well as learning the facts. But I don't, I don't think the survey, I don't think it gave us anything useful really, I suppose, that's what, or, or it's not been reported in a way that is particularly useful in determining what to do next if people are unhappy.
0: And it was also a very small sample of professionals. That was Emma Curtin. So if students lack the hard technical skills, what about their soft transferable skills? How can these be developed together holistically?
2: I understood the importance of that kind of stuff that could be seen as mundane. And I mean, and that's how I sell it, because I actually te- do teach a sort of practice-related module to first year. Well, we look at architects' drawings and I look at pictures of buildings and kind of say like, look, you can already do some of this. You can already do these drawings. But where architecture gets really exciting is where you turn your drawing into reality. And to be able to do that You've got to be able to build relationships with other professionals. You've got to be able to persuade someone to pay for it. You've got to understand how that works. You've got to engage with the planning system and the building regulations. And if you can hold on to that idea that you had at the beginning, in the concept, as it were, all the way through this process to see something realised, then that is what's really, really exciting. So all of this technical and professional stuff that we kind of sometimes think of as mundane, it's the tools with which we turn our ideas into buildings. And if that's not what we're trying to do, then, uh, and if that's not exciting, then I don't know what is. But I don't think that means we have to learn literally nuts and bolts in the first year or, or even second and third year.
3: I think university is probably the best place where you can learn these additional skills. So, playing on the sort of let's take the business skills for example. And I know academics and Practitioners are saying, oh, students don't have business skills, they need to be equipped for practice. Well, practice isn't necessarily about knowing all the ins and outs. It's actually about communication. At the end of the day, architecture is communication, whether that's through drawing or speaking. And university is the place to do that. So when you have your reviews, while you're communicating your ideas through to your tutors, okay, they're your peers. But in practice, eventually you're going to have to sell your ideas to your client. Now that's marketing, which is inherent a business skill. So I think some academics, some practitioners, saying, oh, and academics are saying we don't want students to be oven ready. Well, being able to sell your idea isn't about being oven ready. Because you could sell your building, or you could sell your concept, or if you go on to become a contractor, for example, or work for other people. You're selling your idea for that particular practice that you're working for. And that's something I've learned a lot and academics and schools of architecture can definitely bring that all together.
0: That was Vinesh Pommel. Under the current RIBA general criteria, it is expected that architectural education in the UK is made up of at least 50% design. But with most successful architects recognising that design is a lifelong pursuit, are we perhaps spending too much time teaching design in abstract projects that students complete alone? Do practitioners spend 50% of their working lives designing? Here's Anne Markey.
1: I think it's, again, a slightly distorted view of practice because, actually, we are designing most of the time we're in practice. I mean, for example, when we're trying to persuade a client to go down a particular route... What we are, what is foremost in our mind is is the design of the building. That may be, you know, it's not just getting the client to agree to our aesthetic preferences, but it may be that they, because of course they don't have the experience the architect brings to the table, is they perhaps aren't seeing something that would make their better their building a better fit that we are. I think most of what we do in practice is actually design. I mean, yes, take away perhaps the filing of the correspondence and the drawing issue sheets. A lot of it when we're constantly championing our designs, I think.
3: Most importantly, though, which is something I've suffered with at university, and it's only through my extra activities I've undertaken, I've been able to develop these skills, is believing in yourself. You You spend seven years minimum trying to qualify as an architect, and then you're there. And then you're given these responsibilities should you wish to take them. You need to be able to to say to yourself, well, I can do this. I've done seven years. I want to be an architect. I am an architect. I'm managing a team. I'm I'm engaging with clients. They're placing a amount of trust in me. And I know I can do this. There are times in schools of architecture where you are not necessarily put down, but the whole sort of tutor-student relationship, the master and the people. I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. But some students do feel that there is that sort of friction between academics and students and I have not as much as some of the others but I have experienced that during my five years at at university but I think it's about students believing in yourself and actually myself believing myself. When I started university I could not speak in a group or to my friends, I was very very shy. And it's actually architect education has helped me to come out of my show and able to be a better architect.:
2: The one thing that I hadn't really appreciated until I started working with first years, their educational backgrounds are, are extremely diverse, uh, so we've got students that have done things like some kind of construction BTEC or a vocational type of course others that might have kind of english economics and french a level but have done an art class at the weekend some that have done an art foundation course uh, then others uh, others a huge maths and physics contingent so their skill set is absolutely not homogenous <laughs> so we're not taking them on i may be wrong but i kind of imagine if you sort of take a maths or an english degree the, the students coming in have got a kind of basis of understanding of the subject whereas our students have got a really kind of spiky profile of some of them are really good. have got really great graphic skills or have really worked on their imagination, but have not done other things. And then some of them that are really highly technical, but haven't really practiced the imagination. So I think one thing is really that you have to be extremely encouraging across the scale because there's catching up to do in different areas. I find it across the board. The students that when I when I teach in the third year, the students that I meet on first impressions, and I think, wow, you know, I, I can't wait to see what you do, and I often completely misjudge it. I think appearances are always deceptive. Often the students that appear to be very strong are, um, are not as strong by the measures that we measure them anyway. So I think anyway appearances are deceptive, but I think just particularly with the first year, they come from such different educational backgrounds that you have to keep a completely open mind about their work and their development, because they're going to change and develop very quickly. For example, they might have ideas and great understanding and intuition, etc., about architecture and spaces and humans, but they have not got the graphic skills at all, some of them, so you could easily dismiss them. So you have to be very encouraging and keep a very open mind.
0: Architectural education has to support students in the development of skills that will enable them to practice as an architect. But what do our guests think about the responsibility of practice? Here's Anne Markey.
1: Instead of saying, why don't schools of architecture teach it, I would say, well, why why are practices and the profession persisting with this sort of use of, you know, graduates who've, God's sake, studied for five years plus a year out in practice as as, as a sort of probably a cheap substitute for a technician or a technologist. I think they're in Ireland because the technician has more of a role in practice. Um, I think perhaps graduates aren't quite so exposed that, to that abuse that some poor graduates get exposed to in big practices, uh, not all big practices, but some in this country. But I think that's why the profession can be critical because they they're, they're being a bit, I think, selfish. They just they do want sometimes an oven-ready graduate. So
2: I've had some some experience that could be described as terrible working in the construction industry but actually I did learn useful things the rules were loose enough that I could count all sorts of different things and people are running businesses and architects are sometimes very overworked within their roles so if they happen to be a good mentor because they like teaching and they're interested in it then you can really fall on your feet but if they're too overworked to be supportive or just not really interested. It's more about supporting the mental role. Maybe, that, maybe that's the problem, that it's a commercial environment, but we kind of expect practice to take on this. We expect them to take on a responsibility. It's sort of like agreed, isn't it? Well, you, you were supported in your year out, so you should support other people in their year out. Chartered practices are supposed to do certain things, but they're not particularly supported to do that, I don't think. But is, there, is there training for professional mentors, for
0: example? That was Emma Curtin. What of the way the debate has been presented in the architectural press? Here's Venesh Pommel.
3: The whole debate about architecture education at the moment is being quite negative and there's a lot of blaming going on, blaming academia, blaming schools of architecture, blaming practice, but we're forgetting one thing, that our system is so rich, it is so diverse, all our students are diverse, all the schools are diverse, both in terms of the scale of the projects they, they, they teach and produce. This debate will probably still happen in 10 years. As technology changes, things will change. We all have to change. But the talent that we have at the moment is really rich. And we, we mustn't forget that because it, it doesn't go well with students who feel like they're entering a profession which is quite weak and quite low and quite demoralising at times. When actually, they're entering a profession with fantastic skills behind them Maybe not all of them, but the skills they do have are equally valid. We shouldn't forget that, and we should try and promote that a lot more.
2: It's kind of not fair on on the students either. I I don't want to be patronising students, but they're trying to find jobs in this market, and that's not the only purpose of a degree, Although although that's important. And I am very keen on students being able to get jobs and make a living, and that is very important. But... It isn't about meeting the demands of industry. We're not just here to serve the needs of the current situation. We're here to think about the future, I suppose. Whilst it's really important to value this kind of technical stuff, it mustn't undermine the importance of the kind of design and history and theory and that we want architects that can ask why and and think outside the system and that these subjects that are not always seen as being directly relevant to practice are. I think sometimes perhaps practitioners forget how they were in the beginning and i think that actually the idea of developing imagination is hugely isn't your imagination is an, an essential tool for an architect to be able to look at a site and imagine a building that's hugely important and that isn't a technical skill but we absolutely have to develop that in the undergraduate course and perhaps uh, some architects don't remember whether they had that or not in the beginning
0: that was emma Curtin you've been listening to episode 4 of the ArcEd podcast You'll find links to some of the commentary on the report on Arcadepodcast.com. If you'd like to comment on anything you've heard in this episode, just tweet us, at ArcadPodcast. Thank you to my guests, Emma Curtin, and Markey, and Vinish Pommel. You can find out more about them by going to arcedpodcast.com and following the links to their professional profiles. Next time on the Arced Podcast, I'll be in Houston, Texas, for the 31st National Conference on the Beginning Design Student. Join me for two special episodes of the podcast that I'll be recording live at the University of Houston over the weekend of Friday 27th and Saturday 28th of February. If you're coming to the conference, please drop me a line and say hello. You can find out more about the event at beginningdesign2015.org. Be sure to get every future episode of the arcade podcast by subscribing. You can go to the iTunes store and search for arcade podcast. If you prefer to use an alternative podcast catcher, Go to the website arcadepodcasts.com for full instructions. From a noisy hotel room in Leicester, I'm James Benedict Brown. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon.